Greetings, friends. Welcome to Chapter 9 of the Eldritch Grimoire, a continuing segment in the Shamans and Sith podcast. In light of the recent retitling of this podcast, this chapter first explores how Joseph Campbell defines the mythological purposes and functions of shamanism and the shaman. It then illustrates the clearest embodiment thereof in the Star Wars galaxy, the Mandalorian Armorer. To understand shamanism, possibly the oldest mystical path to the divine, it is helpful to recall that from the Indian mythological perspective, all human beings have four goals. First, Kama, or pleasure, the pursuit of Freud's id. Second, Artha, or power, the typical goal of the Western ego. Third, Dharma, or knowledge of and action under the divine superego, the cosmic mandala guiding all material and ethical karma or actions. And fourth, moksha, the physical release from maya, the delusion that causes us to confuse the empirical perceptions of our individual consciousness with ultimate reality. Another commonly used term for moksha is, of course, enlightenment. In navigating these goals and the pursuit thereof, Campbell suggests that myth paradoxically contributes to the goals of Kama, Artha, and Dharma while functioning as a path, a way to the moksha that can release us from our deluded pathways. Accordingly, in Star Wars, the way of the Jedi is as follows. Non-intervention with cosmic processes through surrender to the Force, selflessness, and freedom from attachments leads to release from the trappings of pleasure and power, allowing the improvement of the galaxy's dharma by surrendering the ego and becoming one with the Force through compassion. In our reality, this is the right-hand path, the way of Eastern sages and gurus, of Western priests and monks. In contrast, the way of the Sith reflects how true Sith embody the dark side and are gradually devoured by it. Specifically, the dark side, the selfish cosmic ego, compels the Sith to maximize their Kama and Artha, allowing them to impact and even modify the galaxy's Dharma by oppressing others with their individual ego and wielding the Force through greedy attachment, first to others, then, ultimately, only to their pursuit of Artha. The Sith are thus clear, amoral personifications of the left-hand path, the way of Western heroes and Homeric warriors, of Arthurian knights and heathen deities. Nevertheless, there is another way, another path to moksha and waking knowledge of the Absolute that is not only far older than the left or the right, but whose primordial origin may also even predate Homo sapiens themselves. This is the way of the shaman, the way of suffering, the way of the Mandalorian armorer. This path is paved with the mythological function Joseph Campbell defines as Marga, a lifetime devoted to psychological metamorphosis via a devoted and hermetic, that is, isolated, mystical, and arcane, dedication to moksha. Hence, Campbell defines the shaman as follows. The shaman is a measure released from the local system of illusions and put in touch with mysteries of the psyche itself, 
which lead to wisdom concerning both the soul and its world. And the shaman thereby performs the necessary function for society of moving it from stability and sterility in the old toward new reaches and new depths of realization. Indeed, for hundreds of thousands of years before the advent of settled agriculture in the Neolithic period around 9,000 years ago, shamans were the guardians of all mythological lore. Their inner worlds thus not only reflected the antediluvian primacy of the Paleolithic hunt, but also continue to function as an elementary idea in the collective unconscious of modern humans. Hence, Campbell states, in every society in which they have been known, the shamans have been the particular guardians and reciters of the chants and traditions of their people. The realm of myth, from which, according to primitive belief, the whole spectacle of the world proceeds, and the world of shamanistic trance are one and the same. Becoming a shaman entails what Campbell calls a shamanic crisis, a painful, singular event in which the end goal of moksha is violently attained. Here, the platonic shadows of material existence, misidentified as reality by the individual consciousness, are annihilated by a psychological thunderbolt, providing mystical realization of, and access to, transcendental consciousness, to the adamantine being of beings structuring all realities now and forever. Worldwide and across time, the shamanic path thus involves three universal criteria. The first is direct instruction by another shaman in the legacy of the clan or the tribe, the spiritual tradition comprising the ethnic ideas that manifest elementary ideas in history and the social order. The second criterion of the shamanic path is a painful, violent, and spontaneous rupture with the mundane an overpowering mental crisis induced through an extreme rite that leads to the shaman's hierophantic realization of the eternal serpent, the dragon of chaos and order, within and without. Let us recall, as discussed in Chapter 1 of the Eldritch Grimoire, Episode 3 of this podcast, how the respective endpoints of the left and right-hand paths are conscious encounters with the dragon of chaos or order that lead to the self or community-imposed exile of the Western or Eastern hero due to the monstrous inability to conform with society that results from the transcendental transformation to the self catalyzed thereby. In contrast to the triumphs of Western heroes and the revelations of Eastern sages, however, the shamanic crisis does not lead to the separation of the shaman from his or her group, but rather drives the shaman to the root of this group's cultural structure and, thus, the psychological structures of every member of the tribe. While rites of indoctrination, initiation, or absolution are inherently group-oriented and group-contrived, i.e. ethnic ideas, the shamanic crisis is a deeply forced vocational call of the individual it carries the shaman neophyte to the crux of all realities, to not only elementary ideas, but the very abyss that generates them. Accordingly, the violent experience of the divine that is the endpoint of the shamanic path, a form of transcendental death, 
allows the shaman to pass beyond the realm of waking life and its ethnic ideas to the deep, to the void, from which elementary ideas emerge, akin to both the left and right hand paths. However, as chapter 4 elaborated with regard to Odin, perhaps the ultimate shamanic deity, the post-crisis shaman keeps one eye, so to speak, in the well of Erd, beneath the world tree, in the ultimate abyss of the absolute. That is, the shaman is stronger than death. Through various forms of magic and trance, the shaman therefore maintains continual and immediate access to what Campbell calls the background of dreamlike reality for which most others is crusted over. In other words, shamanism makes manifest the mythological age and realm beyond all time and space, here and now. Shamans thus lead the formation of mythology and rites according to the phenomenology of their culture's ethnic ideas, but they do not, cannot, create religious dogma or function as political leaders. The third criterion of the shamanic path, then, is a mythological career spent in service to the community, to the clan or tribe. Whether healing, performing magic, soothsaying, or prophesying, the shaman at once exists upon, gives structure to, and personifies the final boundary of his or her community. Every shamanic act articulates mythic poetry, a particular kind of art that imitates or presents in the field of time and space the visionary world of the eternal dragon, of Brahman, of the cosmic force. In short, having proven that he or she is stronger than death in the crisis that is the endpoint of the shamanic path, the shaman knows, experiences, lives, and teaches the way, the lifelong devotion to Marga that through and in him or her is at once isolated but accessible, mystical but mundane, arcane but knowable. Hence, the shaman stands apart from the group while embodying its most basic attributes as well as the eternal aspects of reality and consciousness that could not be further from them. In sum, the shaman is a living, breathing, mythogenetic zone a paradoxically timeless yet aging embodiment of the ethnic ideas that structure his or her community whose essential roots, like the Norse Yggdrasil, extend into the formless deep, reaching even to Brahman itself. Accordingly, the armorer in the Mandalorian is the clearest canonical embodiment of shamanism in the Star Wars galaxy that we have been given to date. Even so, Beyond what we can speculate or infer from her wardrobe and words, we know nothing of the armorer's backstory other than that she was on the moon of Concordia, most likely as a member of Death Watch, during the Great Purge of Mandalore and its destruction by the Empire on the Night of a Thousand Tears. Nevertheless, as we have repeatedly witnessed across three seasons of The Mandalorian and several episodes of The Book of Boba Fett, among the children of the Watch, the armorer alone is capable of transforming the Mandalorian iron called Beskar into the sacred armor and implements that physically manifest their spiritual traditions. That is, in the armorer's forge, mundane metal becomes mystical raiment in a shamanic rite that infuses base matter with the transcendental energy of the living waters, the Mandalorian well of Erd, where the eternal serpent, the Mythosaur, dwells.
Amid the lack of any political or religious leadership during their exile from Mandalore, the armorer also functions as a font of wisdom, an embodied mythogenetic zone who welds her community of exiles together with arcane knowledge and lore. Because of her shamanic access to the beyond, she alone is able to authoritatively identify when the members of her tribe follow the correct creed, the way to moksha, from the Mandalorian perspective. Hence, the armorer also oversees the rites of initiation into the way. Akin to all shamans, her direct spiritual access to the living waters allows her to transform any body of water into the mystical equivalent during baptismal rites, and her presence is essential for the validity and impact of these actions. The same is true when members of the community fall from the way, as when Din Djarin admits to removing his helmet. Only the armorer has the spiritual authority, the mystical access, necessary to approve the path to his redemption, even though this creed is known to all. Moreover, as the shamanic distillation of the martial ideals and abilities that structure Mandalorian culture in general, and the way of the Children of the Watch in particular, the armorer possesses perhaps unparalleled hand-to-hand -hand combat skills. In these and other actions and performances, that is, in her role as Mandalorian shaman, as mythogenetic zone made manifest, we thus witness the armorer fulfill every function of myth identified by Joseph Campbell. Pedagogically, she maintains the Dharma of the Children of the Watch by means of cosmological and spiritual instruction in lore and deed. Sociologically, she validates and maintains the established, that is, ethnic, social order of the tribe in its rites and gatherings. Psychologically, she centers and harmonizes the psyches of her community's members through her unwavering faith in, representations of, and sacrifices to an unimpeachable higher might during both individual and collective interactions, whether internal or external, peaceful or violent. All of these abilities and capacities extend from the armorer's continual mystical access to the Well of Erd, to the elementary and figurative living waters from which the ethnic ideas that structure her tribe emerge. Waters which literally exist on Mandalore, but were thought physically inaccessible until season three of The Mandalorian. In another sense then, the armorer is an interesting example of a shaman who, like all shamans, lives a marginal existence on the boundaries of her community even as she structures and affirms these borders amid her isolation from this community. However, the armorer is also a singular, perhaps unique, example of a shaman functioning amid the extermination of her entire world by a galactic empire and the diaspora of her people across the stars. This renders her not only a living mythogenetic zone, but also a singular instantiation of Mandalorian mythogony. That is, the armorer alone is at once the origin, the shamanic wellspring, and the future of Mandalorian mythology. As the children of the Watch are recruited not by blood, but by creed, this entails that so long as the armorer alone survives, all of Mandalore survives within and through her. It merits reiterating, however, that the armorer is neither monk nor priest, neither guru nor sage, 
neither Arthurian knight, nor Homeric hero. She does not espouse the dogmas or ethnic virtues of a particular religion or society. Rather, as mystic, as shaman, she refracts the elementary living waters of the Absolute, the cosmic force in the Star Wars galaxy, through the ethnic prism of the Mandalorian Creed. It is in this ongoing mythogenesis that the way is revealed to her and any seeking true mystical knowledge or mythological instruction from her. In sum, as shaman, the armorer does not travel the left-hand path of the Sith or the right-hand path of the Jedi because she is the shamanic path. She is the Mandalorian Creed, and through her, the eternal living waters ensure that the Creed endures, even without Mandalore, across endless reaches of space and time. That is, from the Mandalorian perspective, the title of Armorer is identical to that of Shaman. She is the Way. This concludes Chapter 9 of the Eldritch Grimoire. Good journey, my friends. <laughs>